2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 6, and what's that? Second uh, Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, and we're also going to be looking at Matthew chapter 23, and that's at verse 23. Uh, so starting with the passage from Second Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Uh, The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let's have a short time for prayer here. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and for the way that it speaks to us. And I pray that as we continue to look into it, that you guide our hearts and, and open our ears to what you have to say to us. Amen. So if you are amongst the people that like titles and whatnot. I changed the title just last night because I thought it would fit a little bit better to Giving from the Heart. See, if you have a pen, you can scratch that out on the bulletin. And Giving from the Heart. If you're visiting here and you just found out that I'm going to be talking about giving and money, let me assure you we're not forcing you to give. Hopefully that'll be clear as I continue to talk. And if you're a regular attender here, Talking about money doesn't assume that you're not already giving. Uh, the role of, of the preacher and coming up here is to remind you of the different ways that God's grace works, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through reading scripture. And there's all these simple Christian disciplines that we continue to live into and continue to be reminded of. 
And I've not necessarily done my homework as much as I could have on what giving looks like and all the different ways that you are giving. But allow this to at least be a reminder of the heart in which we do our giving. And I'm going to talk about giving, and I think it's good to give. I think in in the midst of the conversation on spiritual disciplines, that giving belongs in there. Like prayer and reading scripture and coming to church, we do these things as part of the Christian life. These are ways of growing into our Christian identity. Giving is also something that teaches us. It teaches our souls that we're not people who who cling to every cent that we have, but we are people who give and share. We're reminded that something even as powerful in our culture as money does not have mastery over us. And I give that little disclaimer before saying this, not because... I want to be apologetic about what I'm talking about, but because I know people get a little uneasy when we talk about money and when we talk about giving. Uh, I worked for a summer or a couple of summers for an organization that does summer camps for kids for volleyball. And one year I was at the provincial tournament and the goal there was we had to get the names and the emails from the kids for the draw and the, the winner of that draw would be able to get a free camp. And as we were trying to seek that out, we were trying to engage the kids, have them come in, there was a lot of skepticism. They were thinking, well, sure, you're offering a a free thing, but they've been taught through engagement with media, through commercials, through spam emails, that they're not really asking something just for free, that there's, there's something malicious behind it. And they didn't have to be told this, they didn't have their... Uh, parents whispering like, don't go to those people, they're just going to get your email and they're going to spam email you or something. But it's something that they know because it's something that our culture is constantly asking for different things. And there's this lack of ease that comes within us that I want to recognize in being asked to give something. And for the record, the church hasn't necessarily had a great track record in asking for things. Often there's these appeals to give. There's kind of three different categories. There's giving out of guilt. So there's this understanding that people somewhere have a lot less than us and we have so much so that we feel guilty and to get rid of some of that guilt, then we we give. And there's emphasis on how bad it is out there and that's been amplified since the, the television and having pictures of people in very impoverished conditions and they they try to prompt us to give even though we don't really want to but we feel guilty about something. Another way that the church has looked at it is in fear. So they'll they'll say something like in order to be saved you, you have to be someone that gives. And it's a bit ironic uh, to find that in the Reformed church or to find that in evangelical churches because the the basis of the Reformation came out of an issue that they had with indulgences, with the the church was acting in a way that it shouldn't have with regards to money. And the third way that, that giving has been talked about is that giving will make us rich. And that 
sounds a little bit strange. Uh, and the, the passage that we are looking at today has actually been used to say that if you give, you will for sure get more in return. And that is not the case when we look deeper into the text. So with that, I want to look at what our text has today. Looking and starting in verse 7, Paul states, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And what would cause people to give reluctantly? Why does Paul have to say this? Well, I think these people are aware that often they're giving out of guilt or that they have been asked to give uh, because they, they think that they have to give in order to be saved. Perhaps they think there's some sort of law that they have to follow. They have to give exactly 10% or they won't be okay. And in response to that, Paul says this, that you are to give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And today I want to look at three principles in this. First, that giving is decided in our heart. Second, that giving is cheerful. And third, that giving is expectant. So again, it's decided in the heart, it's cheerful, and it's expectant. Looking at the first one, that's decided in the heart. What we give isn't, isn't bound to a specific number. There's no uh, magical percentage of what we have to give. Many times people just want this example. They want to know, okay, what's, what's the number? And they kind of cling to that, thinking, okay, that, that's the rule. I can, I can do that. Giving of the heart implies that it's actually something that outflows from an internal transformation. This is not simply a law to follow. This isn't just simply a number. This, isn't a, this is not a particular part of life that just simply flows out of our, our bank accounts or from our wallets. Paul groups it with matters of the heart. It's part of the gospel. This is a, a phrase from uh, one of the Reformed theologians that if Christ is Lord over all things, there's not a single square inch that Christ is not Lord of. And that, that includes things like our finances. And I like this issue of deciding in the heart because it, it makes this an internal process. Giving is something that comes within you. It, it wells up from within you and it overflows into the rest of the world. It's part of the self-giving nature of our belief system. This isn't just a principle for someone when you have a steady job, then you can start to give, or you have to wait till you're out of school. It's not just a system that we have in place to keep the church running. It's something that is part of the overflow of the Gospels. In this same way, I also want to look at Matthew 23 for a second, because it reminds us that while giving is important, it's not a replacement for the other things. And I say this with Matthew 23 in mind. So if you have 
that bookmarked. I invite you to turn to that. And Jesus is in the midst. All of chapter 23 is this listing of seven different woes against the Pharisees. If you don't know the Pharisees are, uh, for the purposes of this message, they are a group of religious leaders in Israel that have done a lot of work and they've thought a lot about how can we make sure we're following the law appropriately? And Jesus says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, the mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And looking at what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, well, the Pharisees give, but in their giving, they're, kind of, they're missing the point. I can give exactly what the Bible requires of me and still not be getting it. In fact, Jesus is saying that these people are giving more than what's required. So when we look at the list of the things that they're giving, they're saying mint, dill, and cumin. And when, you, when we go back and we look at what the different arguments are amongst the religious leaders of that time, they're looking at the tithe and they're thinking, okay, so we know we have to give everything, like a, a portion of what we harvest, but do our spices count? Do our herbs count? And throughout the discussions, you'll find that, well, the herbs, there's, there's some substance there, so we need to give a tenth of that. But when it comes to more like aromatic spices, it's such a small amount and it's mostly the, the fragrance. So that's not necessary. Um, and yet you find here, the Pharisees go above and beyond even what they have decided is necessary. So they're following it just to be safe, just to make sure that they're following things correctly. They did not want to trespass in any law that they gave, but they are also neglecting a major part, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It's not so much an indictment against this giving, but it's overlooking the other parts that God is calling them to. It's this reminder that if you think it's about the numbers, then you're missing the point. It's, it's about a transformed heart. It's about living into a society where no one lacks. As an additional side note in this passage, there's that line that he gives uh, in verse 24. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Um, beyond a wordplay that we're missing a little bit in English where gnat and camel sound very similar, you'll find that the, this actually comments on a similar part to the point that Jesus is making about the spices. So when people were sharing in meals and they had a soup in front of them, if a fly landed in there and it died in the, in the soup, they would have to fish it out right away, otherwise it would become unclean. And then they'd have to throw out the soup. 
but they figured with gnats, they're so small, there's so many of them that you can't strain out all the gnats. So they made an exception for the rule there. You don't have to worry about gnats. On the other hand, if you look at Jewish law, camels are something that are clearly unclean. There's, there's, and it, it's not like you can't stop a camel from going in your soup. That's a little wild. So the, the Pharisees are going through this work of straining out these little gnats just to be safe, just to make sure that they're going to be saved. And they're so focused on that that they swallow the camel. They swallow something that is unclean. They consume what is unclean while focusing on something minute. The focus on being safe with regards to numbers rather than looking at justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And all of this is to say that our giving is from the heart. The heart is not about this legalistic giving or a number just to be spiritually safe. The giving of the heart is an act of generosity that stems from an understanding that every square inch of the world is under the lordship of Christ. As Christians, we believe at the core there is a changed heart. And this extends to each area of life. As Paul says, each of you are to give what you have decided in your heart. The next point is cheerful. So not only is it decided in the heart, but cheerful giving displays a transformation of the heart. The the line here is, God loves a cheerful giver. And in saying that, he's not saying, well, God God only loves it when you give cheerfully. But it's, it's the celebration that when he sees the people that, that get it, that, that giving is something that is freeing and joyful. I, I can think of this in terms of my nephews. Uh, since the, I, I, they're about maybe four years old, our oldest one, and they stem down to about two months. And one thing that I've noticed since we have gotten these nephews kicking around the house, is that my parents have bought way more toys than we ever had before. There's just like a sea of toys that they're all surrounded by. And if they start playing with them, they'll, they'll grab just one, and it's kind of arbitrary that they choose it, but the other one will see, oh man, that it looks like he's having fun. I want that one. And even though they're sitting in the midst of that, there's kind of this jealousy that works in, and there's fighting and squabbling over this one thing. And every once in a while, you'll see the kids kind of get it. The, the, the one will look at the other one and be like, oh, you want to play with this? Well, I can share with you. There's an abundance here. And when the parents see that, they can take joy in that. They can look at the kids and say, oh, they get it. They get that, that sharing is a good thing. They get that it's not all about them. And this is kind of the image that I have in my mind when I see this passage that God loves a cheerful giver. God can look down and he can see, oh great, they get it. It's not all about money. This is something that frees us. It's a gift that they can give. It's not inwardly focused on ourselves, but it longs to give to others and support those who lack. It's about what giving from the heart actually looks like. It's cheerful. It's something untethered from rules and legalism. 
It's a giving that comes, again, from a transformed heart. The third point for following along is giving is expectant. And in that, what do we expect? Well, let's read verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and you'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, one of the principles that we cannot take from this text is that giving is an equation for getting rich. This is something that we find if you look at Christianity historically, that not everyone that has given has gotten much more in return. This isn't something that you see throughout the New Testament, and this isn't even something that you see in the context of this passage. If we remember, chapter 8 begins with Paul talking about the Macedonians who give into their extreme poverty. But it does say that people will be enriched. One of the problems in looking at that enrichment in solely financial ways is that often it's looked at from the terms of I get more for myself and it's used selfishly and that's not the direction of our passage. It's not coupled with a selfish motivation. It's not that we give only if we're promised to get more in return so that we can maintain or enhance our level of comfort. In our text, the blessings that God gives are, in verse 8, it says, so that, so that you will abound in every good work. And then in verse 11, the blessings that are given are so that you can be generous in every occasion. These so that statements are not stated that God blesses us so that you can remain in a certain style of living. The blessing of resources and other blessings are for a purpose. And one commentator puts it this way. At the heart of God's blessings stand a purpose for blessings. Rather than lavishing believers with expansive expressions of grace, so that they might glut themselves on God's gifts, resources are to be used for every good work. So in that, we give expectantly. Not that we'll all get wealthy, but with the expectation that God continues to equip us to abound in every good work. And I suggest this is what you would expect from the giving that would result from a transformed heart. And if you want to look into that passage a little bit deeper, I provide some footnotes on the handouts. I know not everyone loves footnotes, but for the interested, it's there. So, as a summary, 
Giving's decided in the heart. It's cheerful since it stems from the heart. And we give expectantly that God will continue to equip us into good works. And, and what does that look like for each one of us? I'm, I'm not so sure exactly what that looks like for everyone because we're all in such different spaces. There's no single rule that we have to follow. That's why these principles are here. And in working this out, I just want to give an example from myself. So I'll admit that I've erred a little bit on this Pharisaic approach at times. And this can be tempting. I remember thinking, well, the Old Testament, 10% there, there's a number there, that's a good target, I'll give 10%. And when I started getting checks in more regularly, I noticed that there was, the, the number that I got wasn't the same as my hourly wage, that there was this portion that was going to the government or something, I never really figured it out. But I saw that those numbers were different, and I was thinking, oh no, there's more that I should be giving. Like, just to be safe, I should include that into my taxes, or into my, my giving. And then I started going to school, and I got scholarships and grants, and I was thinking, okay, do I see these as deductions off my tuition, or is this money that's kind of coming to me through that? Should I give, well, just to be safe, I'll, I should give part of my grants. And then in looking at where I should be giving, I was like, well, do you give to church or do you give to charitable organizations? Which places? And looking at the Bible, I was like, well, it seems like most of the money was going to the temple and that's where a lot of the charity was. I'll just give to the church. Just kind of be safe. Make sure those principles are there. In the midst of answering all of these questions, I have to remind myself, am am I doing that work? Am I straining a gnat? Well, I have a camel in my soup. What's the point of giving? Is it this pat on the back? Good job, now that's covered. I've, I've done that job of giving. I can kind of feel good. There's no, there's no gnats in there. Or is it part of this larger transformation process? So here's how I've been trying to look at it. And I mentioned before this idea of giving as a spiritual discipline. I give as a sign that I'm transformed, and I give as a way of forming myself. Like reading scripture and spending time in prayer comes from being transformed and as something that continually forms me, I also give. And I still give rather systematically. But again, like, like prayer and reading scripture, I do my best not to make, or I do my best to make sure that it doesn't become stale. And I still kind of have that preference to give to the church and most of it to the church. But in looking at different resources on stewardship, I've noted that there's this correction here in seeing that the kingdom is not relegated only to the church and that giving overflows to wherever God's kingdom is at work. So with all of that, I want to consider just a few questions for ourselves. First, is giving part of the process of a transformed heart? Does it come from a transformed heart, and does it also continue to transform you? Are you able to give cheerfully? And do you give expectantly, 
expecting that God will continue to bless you to abound in every good work. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, transform our hearts. Let us reflect your glory in every aspect of our lives. May we love, forgive, and seek justice, and also give. Let each part of our lives be affected by your gospel and truth. May we live into the truth of your grace and see the goodness that can be recovered and redeemed in each part of your creation. Pray this all in your name. Amen.